The Mark Stein Show. And now, here's Mark. June 24th, 2020. At this stage, I'd just as soon cut to the chase and have a full-blown civil war. Bring it on, baby. If you trash America's monuments and great works of art a block across Lafayette Park from the White House, there are no cops in sight. But 15 FBI agents have enough time on their hands to go over to the Talladega Speedway and investigate a pull string on a garage door opener as a hate crime because NASCAR wants to virtue signal that they're no different from all the other social justice wankers. Defund the FBI! As a matter of fact, defund all federal law enforcement. It's pretty obvious that... Whatever the name of the guy uh, nominally sitting behind the president's desk in the White House, significant elements of the executive branch have gone rogue and are now entirely unresponsive, uh, just like the Shah's police in the last weeks or Ceausescu's in the last hours. Every single one of the noose stories in recent years, has turned out to be fake news. Everyone involved in these idiotic tales knows that, starting with the media professing their shock and horror. Oh, no, another noose. No, another fake news. But even when 15 FBI agents determined that the noose deliberately left in a black man's garage was, in fact, a garage door looped opener put up in what was then a white man's garage, the bozo who made it into a national frenzy insists that just because it opens the garage door doesn't mean it's not a noose. It's a straight-up noose. The FBI has stated it was a noose over and over again. NASCAR leadership has stated that it was a noose. I can confirm that. I actually got evidence of what was hanging in my garage, over my car, around my picker, guys, to confirm that it was a noose. And never seen anything like it so what are you saying here are you do you are you saying that you don't believe do you you believe that it was intended for you in in that way or are you what are you saying here it it was a noose it was a noose that was other whether tied in 2019 or or whatever it was a noose so it wasn't directed me but somebody tied a noose that's what i am saying Mm -hmm. it was It is a noose. Immediately after that interview, Bubba Wallace went for dinner at his local steakhouse, but was horrified to find that someone had left a guillotine next to his T-bone. American conservatives retreated from the entire cultural landscape, except for a few sturdy redoubts, country music, the Boy Scouts, Chick-fil-A, NASCAR, and then, surprise, surprise, they got screwed over by those guys too. The Chick-fil-A frauds took your money for their third-rate chicken and then declared the Salvation Army a homophobic because the sex-fiend offshore banking Southern Poverty Law Center shakedown racket says so. Now, 
now that same Chick-fil-A CEO wants white guys to do penance and shine the shoes of black men. But if it's Bubba Wallace, don't loop his shoelaces or you'll never hear the end of it. If you support NASCAR or the NFL or any of the other butch man cave sports, you're a chump. They despise you as much as NPR or the New York City Ballet or the Hollywood types who made all those Harvey Weinstein chick flick Oscar bait movies do. As Ann Coulter said the other day, if you're a real man, quit NASCAR and find a more macho sport like figure skating. The fellow in the spangly bolero jacket flouncing around to some Nancy boy like Tchaikovsky is butcher than a hack like Bubba Wallace and his weeping pansy white boys at NASCAR. String is racist. That's what it's come to. We need to ban string. And string theory. We don't know what that is, but if you're a professor of it, you need to be jailed. What else is happening? Oh, yeah. The March of the Morons Never Sleeps. Timber! It's Mark Stein's Statue of the Night. You put me high upon a pedestal So high that I could almost see eternity You needed me You needed me We no longer need Hans Christian Hegg. He was born in Leobayern, Norway, near Oslo, just before Christmas, 1829, and when he was 10, his family moved to Muskego, Wisconsin. Hans, like most Scandinavians, found the idea of slavery utterly repulsive, and as a young man, he joined the anti-slavery Free Soil Party and became a leader of the Wide Awakes, the anti-slavery militia that disrupted the activities of the many slave catchers sent to capture fleeing slaves. He was the first Norwegian-American to be elected statewide in Wisconsin and soon joined the newly formed anti-slavery Republican Party. When the Civil War began, he was made colonel of the 15th Wisconsin, the so-called Scandinavian Regiment, because it was the only all-Norse regiment in the Union Army. On September 19th, 1863, Colonel Hegg was mortally wounded at the Battle of Chickamauga. A statue was put up on the approach to the state capitol in Madison to honour a lifelong abolitionist who gave his life for his country. Last night, a depraved, grunting, know-nothing mob came for Colonel Hegg. They brought down the statue decapitated it and threw it in a lake. Oh, don't worry, don't worry. You can still see that statue because a replica was put up in Hegg's home village in Norway, and I saw it there myself four summers ago. But in his adopted country, the land he died for, he sleeps with the fishes. Toppled in the March of the Morons on June 23rd, 2020, Hans Christian Hegg. This is ignorant and nihilist and evil, and I'm sorry, but the president has to do more than tweet incoherently about it. The abolition of American history is in effect a cultural regime change. Come on, conservatives. You've lost everything. You've lost Chick-fil-A. 
You've lost NASCAR. Do you want to lose it all? And now, from the land where everything is policed except crime... Good evening, all. It's your Brit Wanker Copper of the Day. On Monday's show, I mentioned the weekend stabbing spree at Forbury Gardens in Reading, Berkshire. The pup was the usual known wolf, a Libyan quote-unquote refugee who's repaid the country that took him in by racking up six convictions for 15 different crimes and on at least one of those convictions spitting in the judge's face. However, despite a very violent rap sheet, he was granted asylum because it would have been too dangerous to send him home. For him, for him. And that's obviously the priority here. The fact that it was dangerous to British subjects to keep him in the UK counted for naught. Uh, He had been released from jail for assault just a fortnight ago just before he went all stabby-stabby at that Berkshire Park, Harry Sadala was, quote, brought to the attention of MI5 for supposed jihadist inclinations, but MI5 thought he was just a nutter, which may well be true. The three dead men were, we were eventually told in the uh, preferred official formulation, members of the LGBTQ community. In fact, one of the Thames Valley police officers said he knew them personally because he drank at the same gay pub. Here is our wanker copper of the day, the senior most counter-terrorism policeman in Britain and the assistant commissioner of the Met, Neil Basu. And this morning, I can formally confirm that this was declared a terrorist incident at 08.30 as a result of those investigations through the night. A 25-year-old man was arrested yesterday on suspicion of murder, and he remains in custody. From our inquiries undertaken so far, officers have found nothing to suggest that there was anyone else involved in this attack, and presently we are not looking for anyone else in relation to the incident. Although the motivation for this horrific act is far from certain, counter-terrorism policing have taken responsibility for leading the investigation. However, we're clear that it was not associated in any way with the Black Lives Matter protest, which took place peacefully earlier on in the day, and which had concluded some hours before this attack took, took place. That's the bland, insipid, desiccated language of post-terror cleanup these days. Neil Basu assures us it's been officially labelled a terrorist attack, which is great because we wouldn't want people to think there were unofficial terrorist attacks going on, would we? At the same time, he tells us that it's just a so-called lone wolf, as they almost all are, because we wouldn't want people to worry that it's some sophisticated Cold War-type plot where control officers from hostile embassies in Belgravia are leaving instructions uh, for uh, handlers in dead drops under blasted oak trees in local parks, which would actually be reassuring. If you needed a hostile foreign government to devote resources and assets to pull off something like this, as opposed to just having your own government import fake refugees uh, to kill you, Uh, when the guy suddenly, spontaneously goes Allahu Akbar on you. And then Neil Basu tells us that 
police remain absolutely bewildered by the motive for this attack. Like the famous story of the burglar who breaks into the police station and steals their toilet, the coppers have nothing to go on. But Mr Basu does want to assure us that they're completely confident it had nothing to do with the Black Lives Matter protest earlier that day in the same park. Everybody was just enjoying a nice afternoon in the park, being told by cultural Marxists that Britain's entire civilizational inheritance is a sewer of racism and hatred when somebody had to go and spoil it all by stabbing a bunch of gays. Can you imagine if, say, some so-called right-wing extremists had killed three gays? Maybe some uh, Trump supporters in the old MAGA hats? They would, they, they would have been instantly gay George Floyds, poster children around the world for right-wing systemic homophobia. Instead, while the wonderfulness of their gayness is being attested to by one and all, no attempt is being made to connect the wonderfulness of their gayness with why they're dead. This thing could have happened to anybody. The idea that, say, Islamic attitudes to homosexuality might have anything to do with this. Don't go there, girlfriend! The internal contradictions of the rainbow quilt are not something you should be even tiptoeing towards. Because the official... Diversity Quilt insists that the nice shishi gay couple can picnic in the park next to the fire-breathing imam and his four child brides all enjoying the Black Lives Matter demonstration together. Whereas if one were to digest and examine the polite evasions of Neil Basu and the British media, one might begin to discern hierarchies of identity in the diversity utopia. And one might think that one day, as is already happening in the East End of London and indeed in Amsterdam and elsewhere, the gay pubs will be gone, but the mosques will not. And just in case you're tempted to question the arithmetic here, that a proportion of the Western world's principal source of immigration absolutely loathes us and wants to kill us. Uh, so the more you continue importing this particular demographic, the more of these attacks you'll have. That's basic arithmetic. And just in case you're tempted to bring this up, when a Muslim goes Allahu Akbar on British gays, the key thing is to remember that you're the bigot. You. You weren't there. You weren't, you're not Black Lives Matter. You're not gay. You're not Muslim. But it's still all your fault. Yasmin Alibi Brown writes, quote, British tolerance is a myth. This dreadful attack by a Libyan asylum seeker will rebound on all migrants and Muslims, unquote. So pay no attention to today's pile of dead gays. The real victims are the Muslim victims of next week's backlash. I think it's 15 years since I quoted the excellent joke that uh, first appeared in Tim Blair's comment section, Guardian headline, Muslims fear backlash from tomorrow's train bombing. But Yasmin plays the joke for real, decade in, decade out, and nobody laughs. In these trying times, we could all use a little diversion. 
Watch Mark Stein's readings of work by poets from Robert Browning to Robert Service in Stein's Sunday poems. Whether it's Keats's Ode on a Grecian Urn, John McRae's In Flanders Fields, or James Montgomery's Greenland, Stein brings you the rhyme, rhythm, and reason behind classics and lesser-known delights. Stein's Sunday poems are available exclusively at www.steinonline.com for members of the Mark Stein Club. View the full catalog at www.steinonline.com poems. The Mark Stein Club presents The Hundred Years Ago Show. A shooting in Chicago, a parachuting in Ohio, and a ball game for the ages. It's June 1920. A hundred years from today. Your world news update, the instability of post-war Europe continues. Portugal has a new government led by Antonio Maria da Silva. Its predecessor took office just 11 days ago under Jose Ramos Preto, whose first action was to increase the salaries of his cabinet, thereby precipitating his immediate downfall. The Russian Civil War continues. The White Army under General Pyotr Wrangel has decisively defeated the Red Army in the Crimea and taken 10,000 Soviet soldiers prisoner. General Wrangel is mocked by the Bolsheviks in a new song over his preferred mode of black garb. The White Army and the Black Baron want to put us back under the Tsar's throne. But from the Tiger to the British Seas, the Red Army is strongest of all. We shall see. Britain has provided naval support for the Greek invasion of Turkey by having its battleships bombard the city of Izmit. According to Greek reports, over a thousand Turks have been killed. The Turkish delegation to the Paris Peace Conference has announced that it now recognizes the independence of Armenia, Syria, Palestine, Mesopotamia and the Hejaz. The fast-shrinking Ottoman Empire also renounces its claims to Egypt, the Sudan, the Suez Canal and eight islands in the Aegean Sea and accepts the British annexation of Cyprus and the French protectorates in Morocco and Tunisia. However, the Turkish object to the ceding of eastern Thrace to Greece and are refusing to give up the Anatolian city of Smyrna. In America, a new inflation record has been set. Goods and services are now 23.7% higher than they were a year ago. At Dayton, Ohio, another record has been set entirely accidentally for the highest altitude on a parachute jump. Sergeant Bottrill of the U.S. Army's Air Service was flying in a two-seater plane at 20,000 feet when high winds opened his parachute. He was jerked back against the rudder, breaking his arm and sending the rudder tumbling to earth and then pulled out of the plane.
His civilian pilot, Mr. Eversole, immediately landed, but Sergeant Botterell was blown for miles before eventually descending the four miles to Earth. Boss Murphy of New York City's Democrat Party machine has been credited with putting a more respectable face on the notoriously corrupt Tammany Hall. But on the eve of his departure for this year's Democrat presidential convention, Silent Charlie, as Mr Murphy is known, was indicted with his closest associates on charges of conspiracy to defraud the United States government of excess profits taxes. The somber stone on all the roses falling. It's you, it's you must go, and I must die. Ah, we all love Frederick Weatherly's recent words to the lovely old Londonderry air. But the air in Londonderry is thick with the whiff of cordite these days. The army has been sent in to drive apart the Protestant loyalists and the Catholic Republicans and end their fighting. To date, the riots in the city have claimed 17 lives and left dozens of others injured. Dramatic shooting in Chicago this weekend. Kitty Gordon, the British actress known for her Broadway and motion picture roles, was appearing in vaudeville in the Windy City with her daughter and her current husband, Jack Wilson. Mr Wilson brought along a revolver both to protect Miss Gordon's jewels and to serve as a stage prop for their show. He swapped out the thirty-eight caliber bullets for blanks, but apparently missed one. And so in the second act... Miss Gordon fired a real bullet at the stage villain. It missed him and continued into the wings where an acrobatic act, Page, Hack and Mac, was waiting for its cue. Hack was hit. The bullet passed through his right arm between two ribs and exited from his back just below the shoulder blade. Chicago Police Chief Garrity, infuriated by trigger-happy vaudevillians disturbing the peace of his city, summoned Miss Gordon and her co-stars for a dressing down at City Hall. Hack is planning to sue Jack Wilson for criminal carelessness as soon as he is out of hospital. of high schools has been held at Cubs Park and the crowd were especially delighted by the New York School of Commerce baseball team in their game against Lane Tech High. You're on now. Oh, oh, 
that fighting baseball drag. Don't you be a quitter. Show them you're a heavy hitter. 10,000 spectators cheered. Hey, soak it out, soak it out. Make a home run, ball, strike. As a New Yorker hit a Grand Slam home run completely out of the Major League Park. An unprecedented feat for a 17-year-old. First base, make second. You're a boy. Keep it going, Sonny. Make me win a lot of money. Don't stop until you're touching side. You're a holy terror. Save the field and made an error. The teenager's pride in his accomplishment is somewhat muted by the New York Daily News, the Baltimore Sun, and other newspapers misspelling his name in their report of his feat. Uh, some putting the H before the E and others opting for two R's. For the record... The name is Lou Gehrig, G-E-H-R-I-G, 17 years old. And that's the way of the world, June 1920. A hundred years from today, a hundred years from today. Oh, you know what this music means. Mark's Mailbox is on the air. Tony Allwright, a first fortnight founding member of the Mark Stein Club from Dublin, uh, where I hope to be in a few days' time, but it's uh, proving rather trickier than I thought. Freedom of movement, none of that in the new normal, is there? Anyway, Tony writes, hi, Mark. As an early Mark Stein member, I would like to put to you the transience of morality as a question for one of your fantastic shows, which I never missed 200 years ago. And indeed, for millennia before then, slavery was a perfectly normal part of life. Until William Wilberforce came along, very few felt, if they thought about it at all, that there was anything intrinsically wrong with it, with the honourable exception of Pope Eugene the Fourth in 1435 and successive popes who railed against slavery. But that began to change in 1833 when Great Britain banned slavery worldwide and backed this up with hard cash and a robust mandate to the Royal Navy to chase down slave ships, which it did with enthusiasm and not a few naval losses. So today we look back at slavery with horror. How could one human being be so brutal as to do that to another human being, we ask? But simultaneously, society today accepts the horror of abortion with not just equanimity, but approval. Yet arguably, abortion is a worse crime even than slavery because its sole objective is to kill its victims. Slave owners and traders seldom killed their slaves deliberately as they were worthless dead. This illustrates how people's view of what is moral or immoral is transient. So will future generations look back at the abortion climate of the 2000s and ask with horror, how could one human being be so brutal as to do that to another human being? Uh, do you think that people's view of morality has always been transient and will it remain so forever? Uh, does the criminality of every crime depend on contemporaneous public perceptions? Outside of religion, is there no objective, unchangeable morality? Uh, that's a very profound topic, uh, Tony. To take that last point, I think it's hard without religion to have an enduring, transcendent moral order because a society with no eye on eternity is mere fashion and fashion's 
change. Uh, one minute the feminists are cool, next it's the transgenders and the feminists are suspect. One minute women can do anything a man can do, uh, except go to the municipal swimming pool because the Muslim community want segregated swimming sessions, and they're now fashionable. I like uh, William Wilberforce's phrase that I quote in my book, The Undocumented Mark Stein, the reformation of manners, because in the end, that's what it is. Manners, not morality. We use manners to evade morality, whether uh, to take Wilberforce's two great causes. It's Americans agreeing to overlook the great evil of slavery or it's London gentlemen agreeing not to notice all the child prostitutes in the streets. Abortion is likewise about using manners to evade morality. We invent pseudo-moral language. Oh, every child should be wanted, uh, which is ludicrous. Uh, most children aren't wanted. They just kind of sort of happen. My own did. But that uh, very conveniently provides all the cover you need. Well, I'm not uh, comfortable having a child I don't really want, so I'll kill it. A lot of the goons on the street right now venerate the idea of the noble savage. The less developed a society is, the purer it is. In reality, in primitive societies, life is nasty, brutish and short because primal urges of self-preservation dominate. Uh, and those predate a moral order in terms of human development. So when a sophisticated society becomes violent, that's actually far more disturbing because it's regressing. It's abandoning its moral order. Um, that's what that uh, judicial decision I mentioned the other day about the heir of England being too pure for slavery really means. Uh, that's why slavery in the southern states is more repugnant than slavery among Ashanti tribesmen in West Africa, uh, because in the former case, you can only do it by evading a, a developed moral order. And that's why abortion is more repugnant than child sacrifice by some loser tribesman dancing around a volcano in the middle of the jungle. It's not that morality is transient uh, so much as our willingness to be bound by it and our susceptibility uh, to fashion, or in Wilberforce's words, manners. And now, Stein Online presents... Mark Stein's Song of the Week. Well, Teddy Roosevelt has now joined the ranks of the de-pedestaled, which has me wondering how long teddy bears are for this world. Will white, liberal, progressive women still be panting for that faintly creepy Valentine's gift of a giant-sized teddy from the Vermont Teddy Bear Company that takes up two-thirds of the bed and forces the guy who gave it to her to sleep on the couch for the rest of his life? Will those guys want to share their bed with a creature named after a white supremacist or a confederate general or a conquistador of indigenous people or whatever Teddy Roosevelt is now meant to be? Theodore Roosevelt disliked being called Teddy, but he bequeathed his diminutive to every child's favourite stuffy. After a bear hunting trip to Mississippi, in which his entourage, anxious that he should get his kill, found a bear, clubbed it into submission and tied it to a tree for the president to shoot. 
Roosevelt, as a genuine sportsman, wanted no part of such a travesty of hunting, and reports of the incident prompted a cartoon by Clifford Berryman in the Washington Post labelled Teddy's Bear. That was in November 1902, and almost immediately a Russian immigrant, Morris Mishtom, made a cuddly toy called Teddy's Bear, stuck it in his shop window, and the rest is history. Seymour Eaton streamlined the name to Teddy Bear in his children's stories about the Roosevelt Bears, and five years after the president's hunting trip, a composer called John Walter Bratton wrote this. The Teddy Bear's Picnic, played by the Edison Symphony Orchestra. recording of John Walter Bratton's composition from 1908, The Teddy Bear's Picnic, a characteristic two-step. If it sounds vaguely characteristic of something you've already heard, well, check out the characteristics of Robert Brown Hall's 1893 march, Death or Glory. Fortunately, Robert Brown Hall never took it to court. Who was John Walter Bratton? Well, he wrote hundreds of songs, including Hats Off to the Boys Who Made Good, In a Cozy Corner, and Henrietta, Have You Met Her? And none of them have survived. They were all complete songs, music and lyrics, and he would probably have had his chum Walter H. Ford put words to this piece, except that it was doing so well as an instrumental that he didn't need to, so uh, why put lyrics to it and share all the dough with some other guy? And so there it sat as an instrumental piece for a quarter century until a fellow called Jimmy Kennedy came along. I knew uh, Jimmy Kennedy slightly in his last years, a lovely man, and if you followed our Sunday song selections over the years, you'll know I'm a great admirer of his phenomenal catalogue. Isle of Capri, South of the Border Down Mexico Way, Harbour Lights, My Prayer, Red Sails in the Sunset, Istanbul, not Constantinople, all of which uh, most people assume are part of what they call the Great American Songbook. In fact, they're part of the Great British Songbook, or the Great Irish Songbook, or the Great Ulster Songbook, or the great uh, Port Stewart songbook. Uh, that was uh, Jimmy Kennedy's manor in the aforementioned uh, County Londonderry. Uh, but because so many top-ranked Americans, uh, Bing Crosby, uh, Louis Armstrong, Frank Sinatra, Nat King Cole, the Platters, Elvis Presley, because so many top-ranked Americans sang his songs, people assume they're American songs. Instead, he was a fixture in Denmark Street, London's Tin Pan Alley, for decades, and the only song he had to adapt 
for the American market was the Hokey Cokey, which in America, for mysterious reasons, is known as the Hokey Pokey. Uh, but long before all those big boffo standards for Bing and Frank and Satchmo, he decided to put a lyric to that sole surviving piece of music from the oeuvre of John Walter Bratton. He kept the title and fleshed it out into a richly detailed dramatic scenario. If you go down in the woods today, you're sure of a big surprise. If you go down in the woods today, you'd better go in disguise. For every bear that ever there was will gather there for certain because today's the day the teddy bears have their picnic. That's the first vocal recording from 1932 by Henry Hall and his orchestra at the BBC with Val Rosing singing Jimmy Kennedy's words. The technical quality and the tonal range of that record are so spectacular that BBC engineers used it to calibrate the frequency response of their equipment when they were testing it. So for decades afterwards, you could be wandering down a corridor at uh, Broadcasting House, which can be a fairly eerie place at 2.30 in the morning, and you'd hear leaking from some control room or other. Every teddy bear who's been good is sure of a treat today. There's lots of marvelous things to eat and wonderful games to play. Beneath the trees where nobody sees, they'll hide and seek as long as they please. That's the way the teddy bears have their picnic. Picnic time for teddy bears. The little teddy bears are having a lovely time today. Watch them, catch them unawares, and see them picnic on the holiday. See them gaily get about. They love to play and shout. They never have any cares. At six o'clock, their mummies and daddies will take them home to bed. Cause they're tired little teddy bears. It's a weird song for children. Uh, simultaneously cute and yet uh, oddly menacing in its scenario of going in disguise to observe a forbidden ritual for the ursine set only. When I was at school, at the end of assembly each morning, the masters used to depart the hall to the sound of some toccata and fugue being played up in the organ loft, which made them look especially especially masterly, with the gowns fluttering behind them. Uh, on the last day of term, my schoolmate, who was the designated organist, had a bit of a turn, and after a bark-like opening flourish, by which time the chief master and co were in the aisle and couldn't turn back, uh, my uh, chum segued into the teddy bear's picnic, uh, which you don't look masterly uh, marching along to. In fact, when you get to the... Uh, picnic time for teddy bears bit, the tassel of your mortarboard and your swishing gown all makes you look a bit camp. Uh, but he'd bolted the organ loft so the prefects couldn't get in and drag him away from the bench. There's enough melodic material for three songs 
in that Bratton uh, instrumental piece. But Jimmy Kennedy finds the right words for them all, starting with that opening theme literally tiptoeing down to the woods to find out what's going on. It's hard to improve on that terrific Henry Hall record, and no one really has. For example... Gritty Dirt Band. God, who needs that? If you're a rocker looking for a bit of the teddy bear picnic action, better to do what Ian Gillen of Deep Purple did. If you go down to the woods today, you better go in disguise. Sure of a big surprise. For all the bears that ever there were, I gathered there today because today is the day the teddy bears have their picnic. And it was a rock and roll picnic. It was. And they drank stuff out of green bottles. And it got tiddly. And this one is all about how they felt the next day. It's called... Bad Attitude. Thank you. There aren't many occasions when Jimmy Kennedy finds himself in a medley with Deep Purple, so until they do smoke on the water with Isle of Capri, make the most of that. Here's a rocker. Um, I I have a reputation for being anti-rock, so uh, to redeem myself, here's a rocker who has a, a charming and persuasive point of view on the material, assisted by mandolinist David Grisman. Here's Jerry Garcia. If you go down to the woods today you're sure of a big surprise if you go down to the woods today you better go in disguise for every bear that ever there was will gather there for certain because today's the day the teddy bears have their picnic Every teddy bear who's been good Is sure of a treat today There's lots of marvelous things to eat And wonderful games to play Beneath the trees where nobody sees They'll hide and seek as long as they please Cause that's the way the teddy bears have their picnic Picnic time for teddy bears The little teddy bears are having a lovely time today Watch them, catch them unawares And see them picnic on their holiday See them gaily get about They love to play and shout They never have any cares At six o'clock their mommies and daddies Will take them home to bed Because they're tired little teddy bears Jerry Garcia of the Grateful Dead. By that point, Jimmy Kennedy was dead. 
so I don't know how grateful he'd have been. Words by Jimmy Kennedy, music by John Walter Bratton, separated by a quarter century and the Atlantic Ocean. If you've ever wondered what the connection is between Theodore Roosevelt and the Grateful Dead, that's it, the Teddy Bear's Picnic. If you go down to the woods today and they've got a flat screen TV there, you'll see me this evening with my pal and yours, Tucker Carlson who's sure to let us in on who's the next president to be de-plinthed. Do check out our Song of the Week in essay form right here at Stein Online every Sunday evening. Stay safe, stay free. Join us next time for another edition of The Mark Stein Show. For every bear that ever there was will gather there Together because today's the day the teddy bears have their picnic. Today's the day the teddy bears have their picnic. The Mark Stein Show is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved.